Hello, welcome to another excellent episode of Disenfranchised, uh, a podcast all about those franchises of one, those movies intended to kick off uh, franchises of their own, but for whatever reason, they stopped after the first one. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me is my co-host, who has just pulled up in a stylish new model, Mini Cooper. Uh, it's Brett Wright. How you doing, Brett? Uh, I'm fine, Stephen. Good. I'm glad to hear. Well, Brett, you know what fine stands for, don't you? No, Stephen. What does fine stand for? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Mm, accurate. Yeah. I'm uh, definitely fine. <laughs> Who isn't fine these days? Goodness. It's, uh, man, what a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, it, it, you know, it's as of the time of this recording, uh, January, though I can't imagine things changing drastically in the next month when this episode released, but you know, we're two months into a new year and uh, things are still as bad as they were 11 months ago. If In fact, worse in a lot of ways. So cheers. Cheers to that. Hey, man, um, I feel like they're on the uptick. I hope I hope you're right, man. At least there's a vaccine out there now. But people, I think, are still trying to rush the rush the return to normalcy. And I think that's only going to get us into more trouble. But I would agree. But what do I know? I'm just a guy on a podcast. And speaking of podcasts, um, we are usually a podcast to talk about movies. Uh, so what movie are we talking about this week, Brett, right? Uh, so we talked about the original a couple weeks ago. Now we're going to talk about the remake of The Italian Job. The 2003 Italian Job, directed by F. Gary Gray, starring... Marky Mark himself, Mr. Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, Jason Statham, Seth Green, Yassine Bey, Edward Norton, uh, Frankie G, and, of course, the great Donald Sutherland. Uh, what a cast on this thing. It's kind of insane. Uh, this is like, a great cast. It's stacked, top to bottom. Um, like, it's it's a really solid... I mean, we could we could get into... Uh, the career trajectories of most of these people uh, over the course of this episode. So, I mean, at least this episode is promising to be longer than our our original Italian job episode for sure. Like, is you know, this is gonna be our main couple for that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into some stuff, maybe one or two things we might have missed in the, the original, for sure. Uh, but this is nothing like the original. It is what I would refer to as have referred to before as in name only. Um, yeah, a remake in name only. Absolutely, it's it's a regular Reno over here. Yeah, the uh, there's a couple characters that share a name, and there's also some Mini Coopers driving around, and that's about it. That is that is absolutely it. In fact, the titular Italian job is over within the first twenty minutes of this film. Uh, you could have and probably should have called this the Los Angeles job. Uh, except you don't get the name recognition doing it that way. So, oh, and there's also the Italian job is about stealing a bunch of gold. Oh, eh, yes, eh, of course. Eh, eh. It's one other thing, I guess. Yeah, the, I mean, the circumstances surrounding the the theft of that gold are completely different. But you know, hey, um, it's it's got enough trappings there that you can make a make a direct line from one to the other. Uh, but if you go digging too much below the surface. Uh, you're going to be very confused, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for at least somewhere a you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors offline somewhere. Same. Same. And but, I've seen this movie before many times. Yeah, but no. Or like he blows something up and Mark Wahlberg turns and goes, hey, man, you're only supposed to blow the doors off. Yeah. Or, you know, something, some, some uh, reference to the most iconic line in the original film. But no. Especially when you even have a character whose whole thing is demolition. I almost, I, that's why I was expecting it. Like, okay, he's going to accidentally blow something up completely and he was only supposed to blow the doors off. Yeah. No, nothing. No, mm -mm. no. And that would have been, that would have been, you know, a great nod for people who have seen the original and enjoyed the original. But honestly, because I think, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this film or the original film, the 69 Italian job is not as iconic to American audiences uh, as say any number of other films, I think you can scrap a lot of that iconography and only, you know, the few Anglophiles in the audience are going to really be upset by it. Yeah. Like I was telling you before the record, like as, as much as I've learned about how iconic the original is to British culture, I can't imagine they were really too happy about this whole situation and what this movie did to the original. 
Yeah, and, and I, I didn't do digging. I should have probably checked out some reviews at the time, particularly from British publications, but I did not. I can probably do that real quick while we while we talk about a few other things. But I mean, this this movie is itself a very different beast altogether than its 1960s counterpart. Uh, another thing I probably would have expected but didn't see is, uh, I mean, the, the role that Donald Sutherland plays of Bridger the role played by Noel Coward in the original is like custom made for Michael Caine to be playing in this film. Uh, I would have expected Michael Caine to show up at least somewhere. I mean, he's in the remake of get Carter starring Sylvester Stallone. So why wouldn't he have shown up in this as well? Maybe he was busy on another project. I don't know. Uh, Well, I, my thoughts were if he got so pissed off about the originals poster, being so like portraying this movie incorrectly. Uh, I can't imagine he would have been too happy about what this remake did to the original. He might yeah. not have wanted to have anything to do with it. That's and that's entirely possible. I am looking up the original Philip French review from the guardian observer, which is a British publication. Uh, the Italian job is a very loose remake of the slack xenophobic 1969 British comedy thriller. A few incidents and names from it, uh, a few from which it retains, excuse me. The original became a cult movie largely because of a single Michael Caine line. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Uh, The three supercharged Mini Coopers carrying stolen bullion in Turin. Noel Coward's final, very camp on-screen appearance. And the song now popular among boozy football teams or football fans. Uh, Gary Gray's, F. Gary Gray's version is tauter, better made, but insufficiently idiosyncratic to attract a cult following. So it doesn't look like, I mean, honestly, it doesn't seem like this person is particularly a fan of the original. So, No, you'd have to find a critic that was a fan of the original, yeah. a, Brit- a British fan of the original, and then see what they thought of it. But I mean, we don't got to go that deep on it. No, I, I should have done that yesterday while I was prepping for this episode. I did not. And that is on me, dear listener. Hey, man, we're not perfect. No, as our as our episode on the original Italian job attests, we are not perfect beings i do want to get into the the xenophobia mentioned in that review because the original uh italian i mean it's something that we didn't really talk about and probably could have in our original episode and i kind of regretted not talking. like as soon as we were done recording and talking about the record i was like ah oh, we should have we should have talked about that a little more is just the very britishness of the film the very uh pro-britain anti-europe uh messaging of that film uh, which is very much us versus them. We mentioned that it was the reason why uh, the producers didn't want fi- all of the cars in the film to be Fiat's. Uh, they wanted an exclusively British car in there. But I, I don't know. It's it's one of those kind of relics of a past era. And while I don't think the messaging is uh, cram it down your throat, you know, we're better than them. It is pretty pretty evident. Uh, and I think something that at least in the 21st century kind of hurts the the film a little bit. Um, but there is this, this kind of under underpinning of Britons are smarter than all those lousy Italians. You know, you got these hardworking Italian cops who are chasing them through the streets and just the, these really rather dull British criminals are kind of outsmarting them at every turn to say nothing of Michael Caine's Charlie Croker, who is not with them at that point. Um, they're still managing to kind of outwit and outsmart them at every turn. And it really just, you know, our plans are better than theirs. Kind of a, kind of a dealy. Yeah. Um, it's something I didn't have any sort of context for, which I think is why I didn't really care for the original as much as I should have. So like it, it didn't resonate to me. It resonated with me as, you know, I'm an American, so I don't really get that xenophobia. I don't get the, well, even, even as an American, I don't get the, we're better than them. thing. I was going to say, because if there's one thing America is not known for at all, <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. but you know i'm not that kind of american so uh so i don't really get that either but you know it's a thing it's been around for a while i don't get it but that doesn't mean it's not real yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's a very real thing and i think anytime you get nationalism uh or not not nationalism because nationalism is somewhat healthy jingoism i should say uh anytime you you have you as a society have to kind of grapple with that um as america has been doing relatively recently there there's a, a degree of toxicity that kind of creeps in there and there are elements of that kind of the fingerprints of that i would say kind of all over the original italian job 
which is unfortunate because I think it has a lot of other strong elements going for it. Uh, a film I was generally positive on, honestly, this remake, a film I'm generally positive on. Does it have its flaws? Sure. But generally, I think this is a pretty good movie. And I think the original is a pretty good movie. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I came down favorably at the end of the day on the original, I think. We, yeah, um, we both did. Um, And this one, this one, man, I'd, I'd put it into the, uh, what we talked about on the Master and Commander episode. It's, it's a dad movie, man. It's the movie that is on in the background on a Sunday. If you're flipping through the channels, you're like, oh, Italian job. I'll watch this. Uh, no matter where it is, you're, you're just, I'm going to stop and watch this because I'm going to have a good time. It's it's super watchable. It's absolutely a dad movie. I actually borrowed the DVD from my dad uh, of this movie so that I could watch it for this podcast because this is a movie my father owns. In fact, when I borrowed it from him, he, he commented, you know, I don't think I've even seen the original Italian job, uh, despite the fact that he was alive in 1969. But again, I think it speaks more to the fact that the film was not really did didn't really do anything here uh, worthy of note anyway. So I think that speaks more to that than anything else. But yeah, this is this is kind of one of those movies that was like on TNT or TBS on a on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. And my dad is definitely the kind of person who would just kind of tune this in and kind of watch it mindlessly. I watched this so many times when I was uh, just out of college living with my parents. I watched this movie so many times. I but I honestly I don't think I've seen it since then, but it was a movie I always kind of remember thinking was really fun. So I was I was excited to revisit it. And when you suggested doing the remake shortly after the original and doing kind of a comparison, I I was interested in that and interested in how well this movie was going to hold up, honestly. Yeah, it turns out it holds up pretty well compared yeah. to the original. No, but it, as a movie on its own, yeah, it holds up just fine. Right. And that's that's kind of where I ended up landing as well. Uh, what had you ever seen this movie before, Brett, or is this the first time you came to this one? I I feel like it's one of those movies that I did see bits and pieces of, you know, flipping through the channels on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, there, because there's definitely bits and pieces that triggered my memory. Mm -hmm. Be like, oh, I remember this scene, but but was that because I saw it or because that was like seeing the trailer so many times? And the trailer pretty much gives away the movie. Like, if you see the trailer, you don't really need to see the movie because most of the good stuff's there. Yeah, so I remember a lot of scenes specifically from the trailer, or maybe from the commercials, just like um, the scene where Charlie's Theron is like, why do you get to punch him? Like, there's that one. Yeah, the whole, um, you lost the one thing you had going for you, the element of surprise, punch him in the face. Surprised? Like, I remember that being a big trailer moment for this movie. Yeah, so that there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, did I see this movie, or did I just see the commercial and trailer a lot? Because it was everywhere. This movie was everywhere, man. They promoted the hell out of it. This was a big movie. Um, and it did a big bit of business for Paramount, actually. So there is, uh, there's a lot to talk about with regard to box office and legacy when it comes to this movie, uh, which we'll get to toward the end of the episode. But before we start getting too deep into it, we do need to revisit one of our tried and true and, and favorite recurring segments. On, the only recurring segment we really have on this podcast, which is... The plot in 60 seconds, uh, and which is where one of us, either either Brett or myself, as decided by our favorite, The Coin of Justice, will um, recount the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less. Uh, and so to do that, we will flip The Coin of Justice. Brett, are you ready to call The Coin of Justice in the air? Absolutely. Let's go and with Tails. Big surprise. And it is Tails. Hey, so it, the, the streak returns to me. The streak is back, baby. It's back, baby. That means it falls to me to recount the plot of The Italian Job 2003, directed by F. Gary Gray uh, in 60 seconds or less. Brett, will you put for me, please, 60 seconds on the clock? Done and done, sir. Excellent. Uh, I am ready when you are. All right, your time starts right now. All right, uh, Charlie Croker has put together a team to steal a safe full of gold in uh, Italy, and he does so by blowing a safe through several uh, floors and burying it on the bottom of a canal in Venice where the safe is then cracked and the gold is stolen. Uh, one of the teams, Steve, played by Edward Norton, shoots uh, John Bridger, played by Donald Sutherland, and escapes with the gold. 
Uh, years later, they uh, are back in the United States. They track down Steve and uh, Charlie recruits uh, 30 seconds Bridger's daughter to help them in a complicated plot that involves uh, driving Mini Coopers through a house. Steve finds out about it. And so he moves the gold. And so now their plan goes to driving Mini Coopers through a sewer underneath Los Angeles. Uh, they He ends up, Steve has at some point shot a Russian or a Ukrainian. So the Ukrainians are after him. Charlie 10 seconds. Ukrainians. Uh, they take Steve and everyone gets away uh, with the gold and they buy what they want. And that's time. Hey, I made it. This movie is plot light, man. It is. It is. It's it's really it's it's more of a revenge movie than a heist movie. In fact, it's a revenge heist movie. Oh yeah, yeah. They're just maybe like two of my favorite genres. So. There you go. So you know, win win. Um, but yeah, the let's let's chat a little bit about the cast on this thing because it is uh, as we mentioned before, pretty stacked. You've got uh, Marky Mark himself, Mark Wahlberg. I, I say Marky Mark because I just watched the filmography of Amy Heckerling this week and Clueless is one of her big films. And they refer to him as Marky Mark constantly in that movie. And I just thought that was the funniest thing since now we, it's like if I were watching a movie that came out in the early two thousands and they're just calling Dwayne Johnson, the rock over and over. Mm. Like that's just not what we call him anymore. And so it amused me. I mean, at this point in his career, he is pretty much shunned the uh the marky mark he's gone he's already done boogie nights which i think is his big serious acting breakout and he started to take on the role that he has more or less taken on ever since of the kind of action star um he's gone through various permutations of that um, but he's only i think at this point in his career as of 2003 only a few years yeah so he's already done the perfect storm He's already done Planet of the Apes, a movie we will absolutely talk about on this podcast one day. Uh, he's 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 one year away from I Heart Huckabees, so he's still got a few like Oscar bait kind of performances up his sleeve, like Four Brothers, The Departed, uh, We Own the Night, and then he starts dipping his toes more and more extensively into the action into the action genre, and as a result, that kind of becomes his go-to place whereas he's now in the daddy's home films he's in the transformer movies he's doing a lot of stuff with peter berg like that kind of becomes his wheelhouse uh as a result so i mean he's he's probably a fairly conventional choice for leading man at this point in his career because he's already got a few of those under his belt but i don't know i think he's doing fine here he's not really doing much to write home about do you have any particularly strong thoughts on mr Wahlberg? Uh, no, I just really love his hamburgers. You know, I've not tried them yet. I really need to get on that. I've, I've seen them sold in grocery stores and I've just not brought myself to pick them up. And the last time I was in Massachusetts, I did not stop at a Wahlburgers to enjoy them there. So yeah, man, they're pretty good. I got to hand it to the guy. I don't really, his, like his acting is hit or miss for me. Uh, so I'm I just, would say same. I'm just going to say good work on your hamburgers, Mark and Mark. <laughs> He's not, I would say, an actor with a great deal of range. So I think it takes a particular kind of director to unlock him and what he does well. I think he is fine in this movie. Like, I don't really think he's doing anything particularly special. This is not, say, Boogie Nights, where he's, um, I mean, he knocks it out of the park in Boogie Nights. But I, I attribute a lot of that to Paul Thomas Anderson, who's a very good director and sees things in actors that, is able to unlock, I think, certain things in, in actors that other directors can't get to, like Adam Sandler's inherent anger and sweetness in Punch Drunk Love, for example. I think he unlocks what's interesting about Mark Wahlberg, which is this kind of chip-on-his-shoulder earnestness that I think plays really well in Boogie Nights. And you see elements of that here, uh, but I think by by the, this, by 2020 and like Spencer Confidential, I think most of that's kind of been driven out of him and i i don't see a lot of that in his performances anymore which is kind of a bummer yeah definitely because i don't I mean outside of boogie nights i haven't really seen any of his other more uh as you called oscar Beatty stuff uh so i really know this mark Wahlberg, the mm -hmm. the you know the action star the kind of not entirely like wooden board but just like this kind of he's there he's doing mark Wahlberg things which is to say not much. 
Right. Yeah. But I, it's not bad. He's okay. This character is not a complicated character either. It, this this role is not asking a lot of him. So, I mean, he is, most of the characters are broadly sketched in this movie, to, to say the least. There's, there's not a lot really here for any of them, these actors, to latch on to in terms of these performances. Um, but they're all doing what they do fairly well, which I think is, you know, I, I think, I don't mean to say it's badly written. I don't think it is. And I don't mean to say that, I don't know, it's just, this is not the kind of movie that you go to for complex character arcs. I, I, you love to see them when they happen, but is the Italian job remake really where you're going for that? No, 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 it is not. You're I mean, going same. for just like, it's a, it's a popcorn movie, man. You just want to sit down and turn your brain off and just watch some fun hijinks. You want to see Mini Coopers drive fast through places where cars don't normally drive. Yeah. Like through houses and in sewers and stuff. And on sidewalks, not hitting a single person somehow. Yeah, magically. Like all those people are really good at jumping out of the way. So, you know, that's, that's where you're going. I don't what, what, who are some of the standouts in this cast to you? Um, honestly, like I, so, I mean, first I gotta say Seth Green probably cause I, I hilarious in this. I enjoy Seth Green and a lot of stuff, uh, from Buffy to other things, robot chicken. He's great. Oh, he's great in robot chicken. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's good. Uh, and I, I personally, I've always really liked Mos Def. I think he's he's, Excuse he's me. Yasin Bey. Sorry, my bad. Excuse me. Um, I hope I'm not mispronouncing that either. If I am, I'm going to sound like such an ass. Oh no, he's got this. He's always had to me. He's always had this sort of like he's, he's charming, kind of like this earnestness to his characters that he plays. I guess I want to say so. Is I don't know. I enjoy it. And then Edward Norton's a dick, and you really want to see him get his comeuppance. So. Yeah, he uh so Edward Norton in this movie, apparently there's a story behind how Edward Norton came to be in this movie because this is not the kind of movie you would expect to see Edward Norton in. He is not the kind of guy who, you know, jumps at the chance to be in these kind of small action films, but apparently he had some kind of contractual obligation uh to Paramount and so he did this movie literally just as a way of getting around or getting out of that obligation, uh, refused to do any promotion for the movie. However, all that being said, he's still really good in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, he's Edward Norton, so he's going to be good. Uh, just, you know, he's one of those actors that even when he's probably phoning it in, he's still good. I, I would say at this point in his career, that's definitely true. I would say, in, at other points in his career, I would say that's probably less true. I think l l more lately, his his work has not been uh, anything I would particularly write home about. But then again, like he's in one of my favorite movies of the past decade, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's done some stuff that I've really liked, but then there's some other stuff where you're just like The Bourne Legacy, for example, where you're just like, this is a absolutely just a paycheck movie and you know he just doesn't seem quite as as plugged in as you would expect him to be i i am generally favorable on edward norton uh i think his reputation anymore is uh probably not as as strong as as it used to be let's just say it that way because i think you know early in his career your primal fear your fight club he's like the it guy and i think the more and more he got plugged in the more quote-unquote difficult he became uh, the second Edward Norton movie that we've ever discussed on this podcast. Can you remember the first? No. The movie he's barely in. Uh, he's, oh, Alita Battle Angel. That's right. He's in it because they are setting him up for the sequel. And we'll never see that sequel now. Uh, but yes, Edward Norton, uh, the brief no-line cameo at the end of the film uh, where he just stands there. Uh, that's, that's Edward Norton in Alita Battle Angel. But yeah. Uh, I, to, to talk about uh, Yasin Bey, he is an actor I've always been intrigued by. I, I don't know much about his music uh, and that's kind of his, his primary is he's a, he's a, a musical artist and I don't know much about his music, uh, but I have enjoyed the performances I've seen him in. He was on one of the bad seasons of Dexter and was one of the better parts of it. As I recall, Dexter, a show that went sharply downhill, like immediately after the fourth season um weirdly and he's in like i think season five 
but he's very good in that season. As I recall, I'm trying to think of some other things that I've seen him in, but I, I, I don't have a bad thing to say about the man. Um, his placement really, on the poster is uh, unfortunate, but sure. I, I really enjoyed him in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, of course, Hitchhiker's Guide, a, a movie we'll absolutely talk about on this podcast one day, and a movie he is absolutely fantastic in. Um, and he's absolutely hilarious in that movie, as I recall. Yeah, that was that. I think that was my first introduction to him as an actor. Um, yeah, he's great. Yes, he absolutely. Uh, I'm just looking at his credits here. He's not done. A lot. Uh, he's in Cadillac Records as Chuck Berry. Kind of want to see that. Be Kind Rewind, Bury Me Standing, 16 Blocks, a movie I've heard interesting things about. Not really positive things, but interesting. Uh, the Woodsman, a Kevin Bacon movie that I've heard is pretty good. Uh, but this is one of his earliest film roles. Uh, he's in the Halle Berry Oscar vehicle Monsters Ball. And it looks like the Eddie Murphy, Robert De Niro two-hander, Showtime, which is a movie I saw one time and thought was pretty bad. All right. Um, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a great movie, and I can't say I would recommend it. But he plays a character called Lazy Boy in that movie. I don't remember him in that movie, so I cannot comment on whether or not he was good or bad in it. Uh, he's also in the 2000 uh, Spike Lee joint, Bamboozled, which I own but have not yet seen. Okay. So, I mean, he's he's... He's got a good pedigree. I say this is one of his earliest films, and then I keep digging. And his earliest film is actually 1991, uh, The Hard Way. So maybe not. Maybe I'm just an idiot. But no, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's possible, man. Uh, it's possible I'm an idiot. Boy, howdy, is it ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you and me both, brother. It's fine. Whoo! The mistakes mistakes have been made. That's is all I'll say. But no, I've I've always been very positive on him. This is also one of the earliest Jason Statham films I'd ever seen. Yeah, but man, he doesn't feel like it he's just you know i make the joke all the time it's jason statham doing jason statham things just jason statham has one mode i mean he he was an athlete he was a swimmer a diver i think who got pulled into acting by guy ritchie i think uh who put him in lock stock and two smoking barrels and the follow-up snatch which are the two good guy ritchie movies uh i would say i've i've seen a few others and quickly lost uh, we'll we'll get a chance to talk about guy ritchie at some point but Jason Statham, a guy, Richie guy. So I had, I had seen those two films before I caught this one, but this was his big, I think his big American play, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm going to say that. And then I'm going to get into his filmography and realize he'd done like 10 American films before that. If the, the Yasin Bey model is, is any indication. Yeah. But Snatch is, 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 if not a masterpiece close to it, Snatch is great. Snatch is my favorite of the guy, Richie films. Lockstock is a very close second, which if you've not seen Lockstock, you need to see Lockstock. Um, that's it's also really good. It's it's, really yeah. Good. Uh, the follow-up, uh, which is uh, Revolver, very bad, like disgustingly bad. Um, so he's in a movie we will talk about uh, at some point in this podcast, Ghosts of Mars, John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars in 2001. Uh, the Jet Li film, The One, also in 2001. Uh, and then, of course, his big American breakthrough had occurred just the year before. He played a character called Frank Martin in a little film called The Transporter. So uh, this is his big American follow-up, I would say. Uh, the Transporter films. Yeah. It's it's such a bummer there's more of those because uh seems like a movie we could talk about on this podcast, and yet. Yeah, but, you know, those are also kind of... They're dad movies, but they're not really good dad movies. They're those movies that are like, they're just on, you know, like, man, he's, I guess I'll watch it. I've never seen one in its entirety. Wow. I mean, you're not missing anything. I'm not going to be like, you should see them, Steven. But yeah. No, you're not missing anything. They're just, I mean, I, I feel like I'm good. They're just goofy, shut your brain off movies. Sure. Which, I mean, there's there's certainly a place for those. And there is a time when I do enjoy those. But um, yeah, uh, I will say with regard to Charlize Theron, apparently, uh, and she said this this film was the reason that she became an action star. Or, or strive to do more action work, I guess. Um, apparently on the set of this film, she they got the schedule uh, and she had six weeks, I think, more driving instruction than any of her male co-stars. Co uh, and so she, like, and understandably blew them all out of the water uh, when it came to all the, the vehicle stuff that they had to do. In fact, Mark Wahlberg could not keep up with her, is what she said. And so that that kind of dis gross display of sexism eventually inspired her to take more 
uh, action roles in more action films. Uh, so starting with, in 2005, the Karen Kusama film, which we will absolutely cover one of these days, Eon Flux. Uh, she's in Hancock, although doesn't do a lot of the action stuff in Hancock. Um, she's in the Ridley Scott Alien prologue or prequel, I guess, um, Prometheus. Uh, Snow White and the Huntsman and its weird sequel, The Huntsman, colon, Winter's War. Uh, 2017, she does Atomic Blonde and Fate of the Furious, co-starring Jason Statham and directed by this film's director, F. Gary Gray, who we also need to talk about. And then last year, she did a little film, uh, Gina uh, Prince-Bythewood's The Old Guard. And then, of course, the one film I've glaringly left off of this list because I just want to just like, turn the screw on this one a little more uh, is one of the greatest films. Another of the greatest films of the past decade, uh, Mad Max Fury road in which she plays Imperator Furiosa. Yeah. But I got to really give it up to uh, atomic blind. Cause it's a great movie, which uh, I have still not seen. I need to check that one out. It's like lady John wick. Um, I've heard that it's, it's is one of the directors of John wick, the director on that one I or the fight curio fight choreographer on that one goodness i can't talk you're asking the guy that knows none of this stuff at any point in time ever uh, sure, so <laughs> i don't know sometimes you you're able to to, to pull um, it out sometimes i do sometimes i randomly know the info but 95 percent of the time i don't so this is uh so this film came out in 2003 also in 2003 uh is the film that Charlize theron would win her oscar for uh the patty jenkins film monster which i haven't seen that either it's uh, it's okay, as I recall. I, she's very good in it. I will say that. Um, I, I saw it once shortly after it came out on DVD and have not watched it again. I need to rewatch it. It's it's on my rewatch list. I might just watch that and the two Wonder Woman films this year and just do a, a Patty Jenkins, just watch all of her filmography because that is right now all of her feature length films. Tragically, we have not let Patty Jenkins direct more movies. Sure. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I can also say... That uh, the old guard is that what it's called? The Netflix. Yes, movie? yes, that also really good. I also really enjoyed that too. Very good. I would say probably one of my top ten movies of last year. Yeah, hopefully that gets a sequel. But if not, we'll totally talk about it. Yeah, it. I can't imagine it not getting a sequel. But again, yeah, we we absolutely will. Netflix seems like the kind of studio that would let that be a sequel, uh, particularly given how few films came out this year. I don't know. I I would hope Netflix would do right by. Gina Prince Bythewood and Charlize Theron and let them sequelize that. But who knows? Who knows anymore, man? 2020 and 2021 are going to be weird. Yeah. They, they, a lot of things, a lot of things that were sure bets have kind of are no longer sure bets. Thanks to the crazy year we had last year. So I don't know, do what you yeah. will with that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about F Gary Gray, the, the director of this film. He is, and he's another director. We'll cover more of his stuff going forward because he directed the failed men in black reboot um men in black international um, question steven yes brett i will answer your question as best does, as i can does the f stand for fun <laughs> i doubt it i very much doubt it no the f stands for felix oh that's not as cool i mean you know do what you can uh, i do think it is uh fitting that we are covering a uh an african-american filmmaker during african-american history month you love to see it. You do. It's always nice when it happens good. So, but he is, he's a filmmaker who has done a lot of different things. Uh, he was a, a music video guy, like so many directors who have achieved any kind of prominence. Started out as a music video guy, directed music videos for Ice Cube. Uh, in fact, the It Was a Good Day video was directed by F. Gary Gray. Cypress Hill. Uh, Coolio, Queen Latifah, Outcast, Dr. Dre. Like he's done, he did the TLC Waterfalls video. Like he's done a lot of stuff. His first film is the the classic uh, film Friday. Um, that was his first film. He also, the next year, uh, followed that up with Set It Off, uh, which uh, starred Queen Latifah. So you've got Friday, which stars Ice Cube, Set It Off starring Queen Latifah. He likes to kind of plug in musical artists, it seems like, when he can. Uh, 1998, he does the Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Spacey movie, The Negotiator, which I have not seen. I need to see that. Uh, 2003, A Man Apart and The Italian Job both come out in the same year. In 2005, he directs the sequel to 
Get Shorty, the very popular Barry Sonnenfeld film, Get Shorty, uh, called Be Cool, which is about the record industry. Get Shorty is about film industry. Be Cool is about the recording industry, as I recall. Uh, and then 2009, Law Abiding Citizen, which I've heard is not a good movie, uh, waits six years and then does the very popular Straight Out of Compton, which kind of revitalizes his directing career a little bit. And then he follows it up with 2017, Fate of the Furious, 2019, Men in Black International. And he is announced as the director of the Mask movie, that is the Mobile Armored Strike Command movie uh, based off of the toy line. Uh, he is announced as the director of that one, which I think he can make a fairly serviceable action film out of that. Could, could anyone make a good serviceable movie out of an action figure line? I, here's the thing, man. We have got, I mean, you would, you could argue Michael Bay could make a, a serviceable franchise out of a, uh, out of an action figure line. Uh, I would I mean, my sister-in-law is a big fan of those movies. Sure, a lot um, of people are, but they're not. That doesn't mean they're right. I mean, fair, fair, touche. Uh, I not not something I'm a fan of. At some point, I'm going to watch all of the Transformers movies. Uh, I don't know when that will be, but I know it's going to happen one of these days. Like, I gotta, I gotta come to grips with the fact that sometimes I'm just not in the zeitgeist. Like, there's tons of people that love the Resident Evil movies, and I think they're all bad. So, who am I to judge? Well, and here's the thing: it's okay to like a movie and it's okay not to like a movie just don't be a dick about it yeah man don't be a fan just like stuff don't be a fan just like stuff you know don't and if someone doesn't like a thing you like don't take it personally because it's probably not personal yeah. you know if, if i said i didn't like something because brett did like it that's personal if i say i don't like something because it's not my cup of tea or because i don't think it's particularly good it's not personal so you know yeah don't be a fan just just like stuff yes uh, but so this kind of falls in a, in a kind of a weird midpoint of F. Gary Gray's career. Um, he's still got some more music videos or at least uh, no, it looks like every, oh, he's, he's done with music videos by this point. The things I'm seeing here are just like collections, but you know, he's, he's a fully established himself as a filmmaker at this point. And he's made, you might argue most of his best films are probably behind him at that point, but then he comes back with straight out of Compton and kind of blows everyone away uh, which is a movie I still have not seen, and I'm kicking myself that I've never seen Straight Outta Compton because I've heard it's incredible, um, and I need to watch it, but I've not yet. So that's and it's it's. I think he would probably be the right director for that film, given that he has worked with Ice Cube before and has probably worked with a lot of those artists before on music videos, etc. So it seems like he would be the right person to kind of work on that film. So I'm, I'm interested to see that one based on all I've heard about it. It's probably pretty great. I've seen the two films he made after that. I've seen fate of the furious and I've seen men in black international um, okay. fate of the furious, not a particularly strong entry in that franchise. I thought, but it's fine. A franchise. I don't think Brett has seen any of. Uh, I've seen the first one. You've seen the first one, not indicative of what that franchise would become. So I've heard. And also not the last time we will talk about that franchise in this episode. Just previews coming soon. Steven talks more about the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, it's it's a franchise with a lot of peaks and valleys, but it's a franchise I think a lot of people legitimately love. So, and I, I absolutely see why. It's the high points are very high. Unfortunately, the low points are pretty low. And I'm I'm someone who is more favorable on certain of those movies that other people don't like and less favorable on ones that a lot of people do. To each their own, right? Right, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's kind of, I'm not your typical, I'm not always your typical guy when it comes to, like, mapping out franchises. Things a lot of people like, I don't, I won't necessarily, particularly if I come to it late, which I've come to, I would say, argue probably most franchises late. Uh, last year, for example, I watched all the Friday the 13th movies. My rating on those is very different from most people's. Much uh, to my chagrin. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, my favorite uh, Friday the Thirteenth movie is Seven. Of all the, things, of yeah, of all, it's the one where he fights Carrie or the Carrie knockoff. That's my favorite one. I mean, look, it's my wife's favorite too. So okay. it's it's good. It's one I of mean, the better ones for sure. Knowing that it's your wife's favorite, actually, I I take that as a as some street cred because she's a big fan of that franchise. So yeah, look, it's, will, it's really good. I can also say it's probably it might be my favorite too. So I'll put that one as that's a feather in my cap. I also like number four probably my second favorite so which i've heard is a lot of is one a lot of people really like one that i've heard a lot of people love that i just didn't understand six 
Didn't really like six. But then again, I think six is the most slashery of them all. And I'm on record as not being a big fan of slashers. So see our last episode. Yes. Yes. On on uh, My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> Where you uh, express not liking slashers to a couple of big horror fans. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? You guys were both pretty cool about it. So yeah, look, man, because we get it. Because it's not personal. Right, exactly. You know, it's it's okay to like a movie and it's okay not to. So, I mean, in terms of liking this movie, Brett, did you, I mean, I think we both have kind of said we're both pretty favorable on it. What what elements were you most favorable on? Where did this movie grab you? I don't know. Just a goofy action movie. Does it really have to grab me anywhere? Like... I, you, would, you would expect the goofy action movie to grab you somewhere, man. It's, no, not really. Like, if it's just a goofy action movie, you're just, you're there, you're having a good time. You know, the actors are good. The action's fine, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, but, you know, action. So so you enjoyed the action. You enjoyed the the goofiness of it all, the inherent ridiculousness of the premise, et cetera. Sure. Look, sometimes you can just like a movie and not have a reason, Stephen. I mean, I know you're okay. trying to, I, I know suppose. you're trying to get like conversation out of me, but like, I don't really have a specific thing that I'm like, yeah, this specific thing is what grabbed me and just didn't let go. I, I don't know, man. It's just a good, it's fine. I mean, I, 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 I like heist movies. Heist movies are generally very fun because it's about assembling a very specific team to do a very specific job. And those are two things I love to see in movies because usually the very specific team means you get like a cast of goofy characters, which you certainly have here. And everyone's got their specific role. You've got the transpo guy. You've got the, the tech guy. You've got the demolitions guy. You've got the mastermind. You've got the safe cracker. you got the, the, the auto guy because there's cars in this movie because it's an Italian job. And of course there are. So I like, I like it when you can get a lot of, of goofy characters together to do a thing. And then, of course, having the thing means that there's a direction for this movie to go like there's there's stakes involved uh but then it's also a revenge movie so you get that kind of added personal element to it and again these characters are not specifically sketched there's not a lot of depth to any of these it's all pretty on the surface which is fine again this is not really the movie that you're going into expecting a lot of um expecting a lot of nuance and Boy, does it deliver. There's not a lot of nuance in this movie, but you know, it's I good. Mean, it, there's a little bit more than usual. At least each one of these characters gets their own like five minutes of lore. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the introduction kind of like the, uh, the intro scene of, uh, I don't know the, um, what's the movie I'm thinking a suicide squad where everyone kind of gets their own, like, like their rundown of them as a character and kind of their history with I would say it's far better done here. Uh, and it includes a cameo by the creator of Napster, Sean Fanning, playing himself as he steals a, uh, a computer disc out of Seth Green's computer. Uh, laughed out loud when I realized that was actually Sean Fanning, something I don't think I had ever really put together until this watch. Absolutely hysterical. Thought that was great. Yeah, no, it is. It is really good. Uh, which, you know, you got to wonder why. I mean, if you could do something like that, why not try to get Michael Caine in your movie? You know, right. And I mean, given the nature of the cameo, it's it. It's especially bizarre uh, because the whole impetus for Seth Green's character is that he was the original creator of Napster and that Sean Fanning stole it from him while he was napping. No, Granted, I don't think anyone really believes him when he says that, but then the flashback literally shows Sean Fanning stealing the disc from Seth Green. So I don't know, man, just that just feels like a really weird cameo for this guy to do. Hey, look, Napster was on, on the way out. And maybe he just needed some money. <laughs> I mean, uh, that seems pretty accurate. I mean, if there's one, there's a lot in this movie that kind of crystallizes it in its time and place. And Napster is absolutely one of those things. Um, there's also an ad at one point, or the ad that they they blow up to cover the hole that they blow up for the truck to fall into the sewers is a an ad for Pepsi Blue which is such a thing that is isolated only to 2003. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, do you remember Pepsi Blue? Kind of, but not as a thing I ever drank. I, I remember drinking it, but only after they'd stopped making it because it was still, for whatever reason, in the vending machines at, my, at the college that I attended because we were a Pepsi-only campus, which killed me because I am not a, generally a Pepsi fan. I'm, I'm, I, when I drank soda, I was a Coke guy. But Pepsi Blue being, you know, different from actual Pepsi, I was like a little more okay with drinking. I don't remember it being particularly good, 
but it was a thing that I did consume. But yeah, there's just, there's stuff like that all in this movie. And you're just like, man, this is very much a product of its time, including the, the refurbished Mini Coopers, which I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure we're just done for this movie. Well, and then I remember, I do remember seeing Mini Coopers on the road after that. Oh, for sure. For at least three or four years. I don't really see them anymore. Rarely, sometimes. Uh, but yeah. I mean, there, there's still a mini dealership up on the north side of town. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, it's it's still there. It's the, the BMW dealership just off uh, 465 on the interstate. Not that I would ever drive one because I probably can't fit in one. Same. Because I am six feet tall and... I'm just, I'm just very wide. Although, interestingly, you see Charlize Theron, who is a very tall lady, getting in and out of a Mini Cooper at various points in this movie, both an, an OG Mini Cooper and a new model Mini Cooper. So, I mean, it, it, it happens quite a few times. In this movie. Maybe they're, maybe they're more spacious than they appear. Maybe I uh, can't say as I've ever been in one. So I can't say as I can really comment like this, there, the, there was a big marketing push for Mini Coopers based on this movie. And they were very popular shortly after this movie came out. I would say largely probably based on this movie. The fact that they were also put out by BMW kind of meant that a certain class of people were the ones driving them. But, you know, what are you going to do? Sure. And as 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 future years have shown, people love tiny ass cars. They really, really do. And like tiny ass, just about everything, really. This was also the time when cell phones were getting smaller and smaller before we realized we could watch movies on our cell phones and then they started getting bigger again. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird change of direction. Yeah, it was that because the joke was like the ongoing pop culture joke is phones are going to get so tiny. You've got like that uh, Will Ferrell character in like the the clothing store who pulls out the really tiny cell phone and like holds it up to his face. I think that's a joke in Zoolander as well. Uh, And then people realize, oh, we can watch movies and stuff on our phones. And now the joke is, you know, it's the phone the size of an iPad or something or, you know, a phone the size of a full a big screen TV. Like that's the joke now. So literally the joke, that's just a pop culture joke that's just swung way back the other direction. So yeah, man, um, let's talk. Well, so I was going to say, with that being said, it seems like this movie was pretty hardcore into the zeitgeist. Why did it not get a sequel, Steven? Well, and, and it's going to it's gonna really flummox you when I tell you what it made at the box office, because uh, this movie did ridiculously well at the box office. It was like the 23rd highest grossing movie of 2003. Uh, it earned $106 million domestic, uh, plus another $70 million in the international box office. So we land at, you know, a pretty, pretty good chunk of change. Uh, there was apparently a sequel in development uh, for years. The script had been written. The movie had been budgeted. The cast was set to return. And then it just never happened um so apparently the proposed sequel was supposed to was like the original proposed sequel uh meant to be called the brazilian job uh it was scripted it was actually based on a script written by david tuey who's probably best known as the director and screenwriter behind the the riddick films the vin diesel riddick films uh the script was called the wrecking crew and it was retooled basically retooled rewritten a lot of people took passes at it um, to be an Italian job sequel. They had a budget in place. Everyone was set to come back. F. Gary Gray was going to come back to direct. It was listed as in development or in production on IMDb for years, probably about four or five years. Uh, and eventually, according to what I've seen, the studio just lost interest, which seems because this movie uh, did really well for them. And people seem to be interested in a sequel and I think the more time went by, I think the bigger some of these stars became, particularly Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron, but also Jason Statham. Like all of these guys are getting bigger. They would be probably harder to get back for a sequel. Uh, Seth Green moved on to other projects like Robot Chicken, et cetera. So, you know, he's like a producer in his own right now. These guys are getting harder and harder to pin down. That's going to cost even more money. So eventually, I think the steam just kind of got let out of it. Um, apparently, the story was going to revolve around the crew getting back together for a diamond heist uh, in Belgium. So why it's called the Brazilian job, 
I don't know. Maybe the same reason this is called the Italian job. Maybe something happens in Brazil that sets off the rest of the movie. Something, something, Italy, something, something job. I don't know. But uh, the rumor that I have heard and it's been it's pretty popular around the Internet. The rumor is that the this this sequel that was the proposed Italian job sequel uh, was it was eventually retooled and rewritten and became the script for the best movie in the Fast and Furious franchise, Fast Five. I don't know if that's true. I do know that the the climax of Fast Five takes place in Rio de Janeiro and involves uh, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel driving a massive safe uh, down the streets of Rio de Janeiro, like tethered between two of their two of their cars. So it's entirely... It seems entirely possible. possible. Seems I mean, it, me. it seems very much like something that the, the sequel to this movie could have absolutely done. So that's the rumor. I I don't think it's that difficult to believe that rumor, honestly. Um, but yeah, there you go. So this movie did not quite, uh, it didn't get the sequel. And at this point, it never will. In 2016, there was a rumor that there was going to be a uh, an Italian job TV series. Uh, but we all know what, has happened to that which is nothing so there's never been an italian job show um i'm sure i mean it's a property that paramount has that they'll probably want to do something with at some point yeah like it's funny we didn't actually talk about like well i guess we sort of did uh our history with italian job right like we're like i rode the ride at paramount's king's island same in in ohio um the, the Italian job stunt track or something like that. It was a yeah. roller coaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where the cars were Mini Coopers and it kind of told the story of the car chase at the end through Ish. roller coaster form. Ish. Yeah, you know, you, you the helicopter comes in and there's an explosion. And yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it's loosely tells the car chase at the end of the movie. But yeah, um, there's but not then, a helicopter chasing your your car at any point you know, really low through the streets of Los Angeles or anything like that. So. No, it just kind of shows up near the end of the coaster sure. and there's an explosion. But, uh, but then, and then, and then Paramount decided we don't, uh, we don't, we can't really afford to sponsor these theme parks anymore. Uh, so uh, it's just, it's just like generic stunt course name now, but it's the right. same ride. Yeah. It, and that honestly, there's a lot of those kind of rides at Kings Island. Uh, because it was parent like a lot of there were roller coasters that got renamed to be named after paramount movies and then there were rides that were specifically from the inception ride movies like top gun or face off like these big blockbuster movies that were turned into roller coasters for some reason weird uh laura cross tomb raider oh not one i remember having seen uh there was a there was a james bond ride at one point there that i remember it was like one of those like movie rides like back to the future at universal yeah the motion the motion yeah it was yeah. it was days of thunder and then it was uh, uh james bond that's right yeah, yeah i remember that yeah so there's there's a lot of, i don't know maybe that seems like a more realistic theme park uh excursion for us to take when you know in the event that the world ever returns to normal uh, doing a, a trip out maybe we should cover a few more of those paramount failed franchise starters and then do a do a remote record out on out in ohio for king's island man that'd be great i haven't been to i haven't been to uh, king's island and it hasn't been a decade has it no it's less than that it's got to be less than that it's i'm hoping it's less than, than that, that for me I've, i haven't been in a number of years um in fact i will have to look at what is still there to kind of like figure out what movies we need to cover to justify this but uh yeah it was it's it's been a it's been a hot minute for me for sure uh in fact i think i think i was a youth pastor the last time i went and i think this movie had probably just come out so i don't think i've been there probably since 2005 at the latest but yeah so it's it's definitely been over a decade for me yeah last time i was there was uh we went to the the halloween event when they have all the haunted houses there um sure but uh, yeah, it's been a while. But I mean, I, I was a big old fan, man. I went so much as a kid and everything. I could probably tell you most of the rides there. Um, Same. Well, and I don't know which of them are still active, though. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's fair. Because, you know, they, they tear stuff down, put stuff up. Theme parks, man, always changing, getting the people in. But that seems far more likely for us to do than, say, Malta and Popeye Village. So, uh, you know, never say never, buddy. I mean, sure, sure, sure. But, uh, you know, Ohio's a lot closer than Malta. So, sure, sure. Just throwing that out there right. for what it's worth. But yeah, so this movie came out in May 30th, 2000 three may 30th 2003 uh and opened at number three that week wow uh, really yes and when you hear the first two movies you will understand why uh opened at number three uh number one is a is the first week of the new disney pixar film finding nemo oh so of course it was uh number two is one of the highest grossing films of the year It is in its eighth week. It stars a huge comedy star in a big return to comedy. It is Jim Carrey in Bruce Almighty. Jeez. It's it's eighth week and it's still number two. Yeah. It had been number one the week before in its seventh week. My God. I cannot. I do not remember the movie being that huge. It was massive, dude. Uh, number number four down from two the week before in its 16th week it's probably the highest grossing or like one of the very highest grossing films of the year and one of the most anticipated sequels of the early 2000s the matrix reloaded uh yeah uh and in number five uh a another big comedy star doing big comedy star things and another i mean you just don't see movies with this kind of multiplier anymore uh in its 22nd week it's earned 76.8 million dollars uh it's uh daddy daycare down from four the week before uh an eddie murphy comedy that weirdly spawned a sequel man just just top to bottom is blockbusters it's yeah it's i mean it's it's the summer blockbuster season man it's a memorial day weekend so you gotta figure man people are going to the movies uh so yeah it's it opens at three but that by no means means that it's out i mean again it it multiplies pretty well it earns uh it looks like f- six right around six million dollars its opening weekend but goes on to gross a hundred million domestic so i mean that's it's got legs but again, movies don't. This is back when movies had legs, when you could keep a movie in theaters for weeks. Daddy Daycare has been in theaters for 22 weeks and it's still in the top five. Um, you know, X2, X Men United has been in theaters for almost 30 weeks and it's sitting at number seven, down from number three the week before. So, I mean, the, the stuff in here with staying power is it, it sticks around. So, which, yeah, which, clearly. You just don't see movies doing that anymore because studios are are quick to pull stuff out and you know if it's not a huge avengers level blockbuster no one's really interested uh you know modest comedies you could just kind of keep in theaters forever and people would come back to see them based on word of mouth that just doesn't happen anymore like it this is only what 18 years ago but it still feels like another time yeah it does in hollywood terms it is kind of another time yeah, you don't really see just like mid-level comedies just churning out the middle of summer anymore. It's- no, like Daddy Daycare and Bruce Almighty doing this kind of business is would be unheard of in 2021. That's so weird and also kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Correct. I mean, those are like Daddy Daycare in particular is the kind of movie you would expect to open on Netflix. Unfortunately. Which is where all those mid-level comedies pretty much go nowadays. Like... Palm Springs, yeah, it's an indie movie, and yeah, Pandemic, but that one was always going to roll out on Hulu because Hulu bought the rights. Now streaming services are more in the game than a lot of studios are, and now most studios are finally getting on board and starting their own streaming services, but that's just going to divide the market even more, and it's going to end up being a complete cluster. So physical media, people, if you like a movie, buy it. Yeah, and when movie theaters open back up, go to them. Correct. Please. I mean, they're open now, but please stay home and wear a mask. Look, no, listen to me. I'm going to tell you right now. Movie theaters are closed. Don't go to them. We're just going to we're just going to nip that in the bud. Don't go to a movie theater. They're closed right now. Don't go to a movie theater. It's it's a bad idea to go to a movie theater right unless now. you rent out a theater for the going rate of hundred dollars right now. You could go right now, Stephen. You could go see the thing at your own private screening. Oh, that sounds awesome. At AMC for hundred dollars. 
that that sounds de- delightful. I would hope they would get an actual print of the movie and not just pop in the Blu-ray. Because if I want to see the Blu-ray, I just stay home. I don't really know. To be honest with you, I don't know the details. Because I, I have the Blu-ray. I have the Blu-ray steelbook. It's it's in the other room right now. But sure, could you go to your own private screening of that Blu-ray in a movie theater? In a movie theater? No. I yeah. can go to my home theater out in the living room. With yeah. some popcorn? Sure. You know, with some movie I theater popcorn. Level. Movie theater style popcorn, Stephen, with a giant tub of that and a giant tub of soda. I don't drink soda. That's been established on this episode. With a giant tub of... Uh, I don't know. What do you drink at movie theaters? Do you drink anything? Uh, I mean, I might get a, a bottle of water, but... Oh, you poor bastard. I mean, it's it's really not a big deal. I I don't like diet soda, and uh, I'm diabetic, so I can't drink regular soda. So I just don't drink soda. So sorry. It's fine. If I go to like a, a restaurant, I'll get like a, an, an unsweetened iced tea. But I don't trust the the iced tea and the the movie theater... Um, dispensers to actually be unsweetened because uh, even like the the nest tea and stuff all has is just disgustingly sweetened so and always tastes like like gross fake lemons so yeah yeah no I mean, i'm with you on that one uh but man i mean that's part of the movie going experience giant tub of popcorn giant tub of soda and... i mean a few years ago i would have absolutely agreed with you but i unfortunately my my own personal health choices have prohibited my ability to do that so well, sure. Uh, well, what are you gonna do? Well, you you don't like diet is the problem. We're we're into diet sodas. Yeah, it, when, which you know, it's fine. I mean, if you like that, go for it. I've best, never best, cared for diet soda. Best of both worlds, brother. You can have soda without any other sugar. Yeah, I just and it, but it's the it's the taste, it's the flavor. I just can't get can't get around it. All right, man. Not my thing, man. Two each. I've even their tried. Own. I've even tried like the Coke Zero and the the Diet Dr Pepper, which everyone tells me is exactly the same, and it's not. It's just not. That one is, though. I don't know what you're tasting, but it tastes exactly like regular Dr. Pepper to me. If you say so. Okay. I just, I don't know. It's not the same. I don't know. I don't know why we're talking about soda in the middle of our episode on uh, the Italian job. Because we're talking about movie theaters and how we miss them. Uh, the tomatometer score on this one is a 73%, so pretty favorable among critics. Uh, the Metacritic score is 68. And the... Uh, good people on Letterboxd uh, rated a 3.1 out of five stars. Brett, where did you land on the 2003 Italian job? Uh, 0.1 lower than that, so three stars. Three stars? Honestly, same. Uh, I also gave it three stars. I don't like it quite as much as the original uh, Italian job, but it's still, it's fun. And it's just kind of inoffensive and innocuous enough that, uh, you know, it's an enjoyable little movie. So I don't know. What 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 more can you say? It's 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 inoffensive. It's enjoyable. Fun for fun for kids of all ages. I don't know. Go out and watch it. Yeah, nothing like the original, but go watch it too to compare. Yeah, absolutely. Like both of these movies deserve your attention. So hundred percent. So Stephen, Stephen, I have a bit of movie trivia for you. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, can you name what uh, property Donald Sutherland and Seth Green have in common? What property? Yes. Like, you know, intellectual property. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, interesting. Okay. Other than this one, obviously. What? Well, obviously, yes. What other nope, intellectual property? you got property it, Stephen. That That's the one. Hey! It was a trick question. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I feel like this is really obvious. And it, Oh, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hey, there you go. Because Donald Sutherland is in the movie and Seth Green is in the TV show. Actually, he's in the movie, too. Is he? He had like a cameo that was like, or like a small role that I think was cut out of the theatrical version or at least severely limited in the theatrical version, but he's actually on the back cover of the, of the VHS box art was the, the bit of trivia that I read on that. So huh. making him, I think the only person to appear in both the movie and the show. Neat. Yeah. So yeah, that, that took me longer than it should have, but yes, it's yeah. also been a long time since I've seen the original Buffy, the vampire slayer, which Honestly, it's probably a movie we will end up covering at some point on this podcast. Yeah, probably. It so, is a failed franchise, technically. Yeah, be- only because the franchise was more successfully spun off and rebooted in another medium. So yeah, you can imagine that had that movie been done well, uh, there would have been other Buffy the Vampire Slayer movies. Potentially. Potentially. So, but And that'll give us a chance to talk about, uh, I don't know, some of the actors in that movie who... Uh, may or may not have uh, 
don't know, cut all that out. That was I was I was trying to go somewhere with Paul Rubens and it it didn't work. So probably for the best. Yeah, probably for, definitely for the best. Um, uh, yeah, no, we'll absolutely talk about Buffy at some point. Uh, Brett, any other anything else to say about the Italian job? Um, Either iteration. No, I think we've I think we've pretty much done it all here. We've we've been thorough. We've talked about both. We've compared both. We've contrasted both. Uh, I hope you all have enjoyed it. We'll do this again because there's plenty other failed franchise originals and remakes. Sure. Uh, we we covered one of those uh, last week, and we'll definitely cover the remake at some point, though probably not as mentioned last week till next year you know it seems like one to do right around valentine's day seems like a good time to cover my bloody valentine but rest assured for all of you who are worried we will absolutely be covering both so we know we know trust trust you don't got you don't got to tell us we know we already got it planned it's on the on the calendar you know mike will be back hopefully hopefully we can get mike back i would love to get him back to talk about that one too um but yeah, so hey, um, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Disenfranchised. Uh, thank you also for uh, sharing this podcast with all of your friends, uh, telling them all about it and how much it means to you personally. Uh, thank you for following us on social media at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for uh, liking us on all of your podcatchers of choice, but particularly for those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you do that and recommend a failed franchise starter, we will cover it on the podcast in relatively short order. Let that be an incentive for you to rate and review this podcast. Um, and also thank you for emailing us. No one's done it yet, but we're thanking you in advance. Uh, emailing us at disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Again, the first person that emails us with a failed franchise starter, they want to hear us cover. We will cover on this podcast. So, and again, before the end of 2021. We will cover it. Uh, I can be found on social media. Thank you for following me there. At Chewy Walrus on uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. Uh, Brett, such as it is, where is your social media presence and where can we find you? Uh, On Letterboxd, at Gunslinger Fire. All right, there you go. So thank you, thank you. Uh, We've got one more episode uh, in February. And uh, it's, boy howdy, it's a fun one. I'm excited for it. I don't know how Brett feels about it, but judging from the look on his face, maybe not. I don't know. But another one of those movies I had a fondness for as a kid, and I'm anxious to see if it holds up, but we'll find out. Uh, So until then, I'm Stephen Foxworthy for Brett Wright and myself. Don't be a fan. Just just like stuff. And you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. (laughs) 